If you will, please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we are looking at this passage in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, that is called, maybe even perhaps an ancient hymn, on the preeminence of Christ. He, he is the greatest. He is the foremost. He is the Holy One. And so we've been looking at different tenets, different attributes about Christ. We're looking specifically at the preeminence of Christ in the Incarnation. And this morning we will see that he is creator and sustainer. So Colossians 1, verses 16 through 17. This is God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word to us this morning. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Pray with me. Oh, Lord, our God, show us this morning that that you are big. That you are much greater, much bigger, much more awesome than we have the mental capacity to understand. We thank you that you've revealed yourself in a book, the Holy Scriptures, that in this sacred book you teach us about who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, we ask again to show us Christ, for it is in his name that we pray, amen. There are big questions in life that face us almost every day. We could choose to wrestle with these questions. We could choose to ignore these questions. These big questions like, who am I? What is the meaning of life? What happens when you die? These are the the big questions that that we're faced with really every day. The, The world would like for you to ignore these. You know, when's the last time you saw an advertisement on TV that said, you know, you're all going to die one day, but before then, you should try this deodorant, you know? <laughs> Nobody does that, right? <laughs> no, 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 there's no advertisement, there's no worldview coming at you every day reminding you of eternal things, reminding you of big life questions. The world would like you to ignore these things, or at best, to numb you into the belief that these things don't matter. There's another big life question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. That question is, how did we get here? How did we get here? Or to put it another way, how did this world or our our universe, everything that exists, how did it get here? The popular secular worldview would tell you, and I know some of you are learning this in school right now, that there was a A big bang that happened a few years ago, they would say. And that formed the cosmos. And then billions, if not trillions of years later, mankind came about on this third rock from the sun by evolution. That is what the secular worldview will teach you. But even these theories... They can't answer these big questions for us, can they? 
They can't tell us the meaning of life and how did we get here. They, they can't even say, well, what was there before the Big Bang? Or what, why was there a Big Bang? Why is there something rather than nothing? And so on and so forth. You know, the answer to these big questions, they're actually in the Bible. And I find the Bible to be very satisfying on these answers that it gives. The answers that the Bible gives are far more satisfying and in far ways, I think, take less faith than some of these secular worldviews to believe what God says in his word about why we're here, where is it all going. One of these big questions is answered for us here in Colossians chapter 1. That's the question of creation. How did we get here? Why is there a created universe? Colossians has some great answers for us this morning. So one of the burdens that the Apostle Paul has as he wrote this letter to the church in Colossae, that's why we call it Colossians, in this magnificent passage on the preeminence of Christ, Paul is wanting to show the believers there in Colossae that that God is much bigger and much greater than they have made him out to be or that they think. That Jesus is the preeminent one. Jesus is, in fact, the creator God. Jesus is the one who made everything. And then someone might ask, why? Why did he create everything? And the good Presbyterian answer, and this answer goes for everything, for his own glory. For his own glory, he made it all. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Why is there something rather than nothing? The answer is the same every time, for the glory of God alone. The reformers said, solio deo gloria. Some try to explain the creation of everything for a different reason. They try to mix a little God and secular worldview in, and they say things like, well, God was lonely. And so because God was lonely, he created everything so that he would have fellowship. But that is not true at all. That's not true one bit. There is an old doctrine called the aseity of God. And the aseity of God speaks of God's self-existence. The aseity of God teaches us that God is entirely self-sufficient. He's not dependent or contingent upon anything else. In other words, he is the eternal, independent, and personal cause of the universe. There was never a time that God was lonely. He has always existed as the divine trinity. One God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he has existed this way for all eternity. But nevertheless... God has always been in perfect communion and fellowship with himself. And he has never needed or lacked anything outside of himself for fulfillment. He is the perfect God in perfect communion with himself. But he did create everything. He created everyone and everything. And it was created, the scripture says, through him and for him. 
There are many of you out there like me who don't really like grammar, and you can't even speak or use good grammar. But there are these things in the Bible called prepositions, and they are powerful. (laughs) Through him and for him, God made everything. And so the theological point that we need to understand in this beautiful passage on the magnificence of Christ and who he is and what he came to do, we need to understand that Jesus Christ did not come into being in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he always was. He is the great I Am. He is the God who is and was and always will be. And therefore, from this teaching, we affirm that he is the creator and the sustainer of the world. And so let's look at the preeminence of Christ in the incarnation by seeing here what Paul teaches, that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer. First, Jesus is preeminent in the incarnation because he is the creator Because he is mighty God, last time we looked at he is the image of the invisible God. He is the eternal one. Jesus is the creator. God's plan, his his decree to create all things in the heavens, on the earth, it was a plan that existed in his divine mind and ordered before they were actually produced. In Genesis 1-1, we're told that in the beginning there, there was God. He existed before anything was created. We are told now by the perfect revelation of God that the agent of this creation of things coming into being is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For by him all things were created, the Bible says. So theologically, we must affirm the aseity of Jesus, the Son of God, He is not a creation. He was not created. He is before all things because he made all things. And in him, all things hold together. That's why we say that he is fully God. The most helpful passage in the scripture to help us understand uh, this this doctrine that Jesus is the creator is actually in John chapter 1. If you want to look in your bulletin there, we have it printed that our scripture reading today. And in John 1, the the divine word, or in Greek, is logos. Logos is the the Greek word for word, so you can get really twisted around saying that. The divine word, the logos, is Jesus. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so the the burden that the Apostle John has in his gospel is to show us that Jesus is God. You might have noticed at Christmas times we read from Matthew and Luke, these these Christmas accounts. And Matthew and Luke go to great depths to trace the genealogy of Jesus being the, the greater son of David, the eternal king that would sit on his throne. And that is all true. But John says, yeah, he goes back even further than that. He is God. He's the creator. In the beginning was the word. This is why his gospel begins this way. The Greek word again for word, logos, 
The theological point that John is trying to make is that Jesus is God. He is the divine word. It's, this word logos is rich with much, a lot of meaning, especially in the Old Testament. It refers to the, to the divine self-expression of God. His, his speech, his, his voice, his word is powerful. The word of God is powerful. It, it creates Jesus is the Word made flesh. This is incredible teaching because what John is teaching us is that in the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the powerful Word of God that was speaking everything into existence, that was Jesus. He is the Word. And so when we ask, who created everything? We often say God did. God is the creator. But to be more precise, and to say this with absolute precision, we, we must say, we must confess that the Word did it, and that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one born in the manger, He is the creator God. If you think about it, John 1, it goes back even further than Genesis 1, right? In Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created. What happened before that? John says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Before the solar systems were made and galaxies were formed and planets were put into place, John takes us further back, even into the inner life of the Trinity of God, where the Word, the Son of God, was with the Father. And He spoke. He created all things. Jesus is the Creator God, the divine Word that spoke the world into existence. And how does that work? With the incarnation, that the creator of the world was born and took on flesh, this is the wonder of the incarnation. This is what makes it worthy of our praise, worthy of our focus, worthy of our time, that the creator took on flesh and became one of us, and he did this without diminishing his divine nature. He is fully God. And fully man. Jesus is the creator. But not only is he the creator, the scriptures teach us here in verse 17 that he is preeminent in the incarnation because he is the sustainer. He is the sustainer of all things. There was never a time when Christ was not. There was never any point that everything did not depend upon the divine Son who is the Creator. But not only did Jesus create the universe and everything that exists, He also sustains it. He upholds it. And so to say that Jesus is the sustainer is to say that He is the one who who sustains everything. He keeps it all in place. This is what Paul says in verse 17. That all things, that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
Jesus is the one who makes this delicate balance of life necessary. We, we exist because Jesus maintains this delicate balance of life. He, he literally holds all things together by his mighty power. Jesus is the sustaining cons- consistency that allows us to even exist in this universe. That's what we mean when we say he is the sustainer. There are some other places in the scriptures that proclaim this wonderful biblical truth. Let me read a few of those. In Acts 17, Paul is trying to explain to these pagans about who the one true God is in Jesus Christ. And he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed everything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Jesus is the sustainer, the the life and breath and everything that we have is because of him. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says, Yet for us there's one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. We exist because Jesus is the sustainer. And then we read earlier in Hebrews that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the sustainer. We're in a science town, and I know a lot of you students are studying science, physics, those type of things. Let's think for a moment about what this means, that Jesus is the sustainer of the universe. All of the laws of physics are upheld by the power of Jesus. He created them. He governs them. The law of universal gravitation, the laws of motion, the law of conservation of mass and energy, the law of thermodynamics, all of these are kept together and upheld by the mighty power of Jesus who is the sustainer. The air that we breathe, it has just the right amount of oxygen and nitrogen that is so perfectly fine-tuned that we do not suffocate Or implode because Jesus is the sustainer. Everything that we enjoy about living and breathing is because of Jesus. Do y'all enjoy that? (laughs) You know, I think there's going to be, we're going to find some very practical reasons why we're not going to find a whole lot of life on other earths, other planets. Because this one is perfectly sustained and designed for us because Jesus is the sustainer. Is this not great news? Of course, Jesus is the Savior. We celebrate that and we worship him, but let's not forget he is more. He's the creator and the sustainer. 
I love the children's book at Christmas time that Sally Lloyd Jones wrote called The Song of the Stars. Pick that book up if you don't have it at home. This book tells us to get ready, to be ready, to be glad. A Savior is coming. And at the end of this story, we are to behold this child who was born, who is lying in the manger, who is the Son of God, the Son of Man. And at the end of this wonderful story, you have Jesus as a baby lying in a manger. And the book closes saying this, Heaven's Son, sleeping under the stars that He made. Think about that. Heaven's Son, sleeping under the stars that He made. The divine Son of God who existed before there was time, before there was ever a creation, the Creator God, the divine Word that spoke the world into existence. He was sleeping under the stars that He created. Paul Tripp says, the Creator was in that manger, and He had come to give Himself to rescue His creation. He had come to give himself to rescue his creation. Jesus is our creator and the sustainer of all things. And he is our rescuer. He has come to save us. Before us this morning, our creator, our sustainer, our savior, he invites us to dine with him. He gives us a meal to show how he condescended, how he came down among us, how he gave his life as a sacrifice to demonstrate his great love. His love, the creator God's love is demonstrated for us this morning in that he died. He gave his life so that we might have everlasting life. Come, let us adore him. Pray with me. Oh, Father, we can freely confess to you that we have made Jesus out to be too small, too small. Help us to see here in your holy word that he is much greater, he is much bigger, he is much more powerful than we could ever imagine. He is mighty God, the creator, the sustainer, the word made flesh who dwelt among us. We praise you that he was born, born to die for us. Help us now to continue to worship him and be strengthened by the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.